Welcome back to the Bulletproof Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Ozenchuk, and you can find me on Twitter at DFBeanCounter. So I feel like I'm in this like perpetual state of trying to find ways to punt these rookie phase planners. And it's led me down to the path to the LA Rams this year. And I want to talk about this move from Matt Stafford to Jared Goff means for the entire offense. So first off, I just want to plainly state it. Over the past two years, at very minimum, Stafford has been substantially better than Jared Goff in virtually every metric that I look at. So when I'm looking at quarterbacks, NFL quarterbacks, I'm looking at PFF grades. Uh, PFF, you know, grades every play is kind of a pass-fail type of thing. Uh, Completion percentage over expected. So that's, you know, just like it sounds, their completion or how many passes they're completing over what they should be, what they're expected to complete. Then we have expected points added. So this is just, you know, their, this EPA is the uh, acronym. This is looking at their, the points that they are responsible for. And then you combine the two for the last metric, which is EPA plus CPOE composite. So when we combine completion percentage over expected with expected points added. So in 2019, Stafford wins in every category by a lot. It isn't very close at all. In 2020, it's a little closer. 2020 PFF, uh, Stafford wins. CPOE, actually Goff wins. EPA per play, Stafford wins. And then EPA plus CPOE composite, they're like neck and neck. And like I said, EPA plus CPOE composite is the most predictive quarterback metric. So they're actually pretty comparable. But when you look at the larger body of work, Stafford is lights out better. Lights out. Not a contest. So like Jared Goff's best season was 4,600 yards passing. That's his best season to date. And according to advanced metrics, he was a bit of a train wreck in it. Stafford actually has a 5,000 yard season on his resume right now. His career average, Stafford's career average is 273 receiving or uh, passing yards per game. That's just shy of 4,400 passing yards. Goff's best season is 4,600 passing yards. (laughs) Like Matt Stafford's average, his career average is approaching Jared Goff's ceiling. That's really exciting. Get excited for Matt Stafford with the LA Rams this year. Let's dig in a little deeper. 5.7% TD rate is in the upper echelon. That's what Matt Stafford had over the last two years. You don't know what Jared Goff's was? 3.55% TD rate. Not good. That is abysmal. Very, very not good. And then you look at their play style. Jared Goff is a check down Charlie. Like he is the epitome of it. His air yards per attempt, according to playerprofiler.com. So this is actually looking at how far did the pass go in the year in the air before it got to the target? 6.3, number 34 in the NFL for Goff. League worst. Contrast that with Stafford's Billy the Kid level gunslinger performance of 8.6 air yards per attempt, number four in the NFL. That's real, real good. You want quarterbacks to throw the ball down the field. Those are efficient touches for a fantasy offense. Now we're looking at Stafford and we're putting him in his best situation since he has been since like back in the day when he was throwing bombs to Megatron. He's getting a coaching upgrade going from, you know, the rocket scientist, Matt Patricia, to boy genius, Sean McVay. One of those guys is an offensive genius. One of those guys is Matt Patricia. This is a huge upgrade for Matt Stafford. When we're looking at the wide receivers, though, Robert Woods' ADOT was 7.1. Cooper Cups was 6.6 in 2020. Robert Woods is the guy that's targeted down the field. I think the move to Stafford is actually going to help Woods more than it helps Cup. Woods runs the down the field routes. I don't really put a lot of stock in like specific projections. I'm not like, you know, (laughs) 
in my spreadsheet being like, okay, yeah, Matt Stafford, we project him for uh, 4,734 yards and 32.1 touchdowns. This is how it works for me. I don't look at that level of detail when I'm doing projections. I'm just looking at high level. I want to know what's possible. And knowing what's possible and what would have to change is so valuable when it comes to fantasy football. This tells us their ceiling. This tells us they're expected. And this tells us their floor. So, Speaking of that, the Rams have had 37.6 attempts per game the past two years, roughly 600 attempts on average. Matt Stafford has averaged 8.15 yards per attempt over the past two years. If you take those together, 600 attempts at 8.15, you get out to roughly 4,900 passing yards. That is a top of the league type season. It is very rare for players to have 5,000 passing yards. That's a very, very, very simple explanation of why Matt Stafford has a very high ceiling. I wouldn't bank on it. I'm not going out saying, yep, Matt Stafford's going to pass for 4,900 passing yards, but I don't think it's unreasonable. His average is 4,400, and he played in some truly awful situations throughout his career. In 20, was it 2018? He played with a broken bone in his back for most of the season. He had the worst season of his career. That's factored into his average. Last year, Kenny Galladay was out. He was thrown to Marvin Jones and a bunch of guys I can't even remember their names. That's factored into his average. He averages 4,400 yards. It's not outrageous to suggest he's going to outperform his average. That's all I'm saying. There is elite passing potential here for Matt Stafford. And then when we look at touchdown rate, over his last two years, he has a 5.7 touchdown rate. 600 attempts, 5.7 touchdowns, or 5.7% touchdowns, 34 touchdowns. We're looking at 4,900 passing yards, 34 touchdowns. We're talking about elite upside. So for the for the wide receivers, Woods and Cup, they have been entrenched as wide receiver twos basically since Jared Goff got good when Sean McVay arrived on site. So check down Charlie, Jared Goff at the helm, Woods and Cup entrenched wide receiver twos. The arrival of Matt Stafford is the high tide that raises all boats. Woods can be a just below the elite tier wide receiver this year. Cup won't be far behind. These guys are all buys in Dynasty right now. Go get them. One of the biggest things that I suspect is going to happen with the uh, with the Matt Stafford preference for airing it out is it's going to force defenders to respect the deep ball. Should stretch the field. Cam Akers averaged 7.3 defenders in the box on his rush attempts last season. That was number five in the NFL. That's basically showing that defenses had no respect for Jared Goff's deep ball. His stack front carry rate, Cam Akers' stack front carry rate was number eight. His base front carry rate was number six. And his light front carry rate was number 61. He never got easy touches. Matt Stafford should change that. So let's back up a second. Let's start from the start with Cam Akers because Cam, the MFing Ram, has a pretty interesting prospect profile that I feel like a lot of folks got wrong. I mean, let's start from the start from start with the easy stuff, right? Like Akers, he's a prototype bell cow. He's 5'10, he's 217 pounds, 76 percentile BMI. He's exactly what you're looking for from a bell cow. He dominated his offense in college, 39.8% college dominator, according to playerprofiler.com, 90th percentile. He had an impressive 10.4% 78th percentile target share. He pretty much checks the easy or like the obvious boxes, right? The issue, and I think the reason like pretty much everyone was afraid of Cam Akers, was he had a highly pedestrian 5.0 26th percentile college yards per carry. 
which for me is something I don't look at anyway. I don't care what his yards per carry is. We go deeper than yards per carry on this podcast. We know that yards per carry is affected by so many other things outside of the running back's ability. Personnel, usage, stacked boxes, obvious rushing situations. You know, if they're the goal line back, that usually affects things because they're only expected to gain a yard. Like all those kinds of things plays into it. So this is really where you can cue up the uh, the let's dive in gif. <laughs> so Akers, like he had one of the worst situations I can ever recall seeing for a top running back prospect. His offensive line was ranked ranked 115th out of 130 offensive lines in college football, according to Football Outsiders line yards metric. That is real not good. Real, real not good. Personally, I'm a big fan of Graham Barfield's work in regards to his yards created metric. Essentially, what he does is he tries to separate the running back from his situation. He only counts the yards the running back earns after the first potential tackle point. Akers, he didn't have a great yards created per attempt. He was 41st out of 54 running backs that Graham has charted. But here's the thing. Akers, again, had a off like horrible offensive line he there's no question his offensive line was one of the worst we've ever seen among the 54 running backs that graham has charted acres was 54th and 53rd was a long ways away from 54 he was 54th by a wide margin despite this acres actually ranked ninth in missed tackles forced mixed tackles forced is different than yard or like broken tackles this factors in not only broken tackles also evaded tackles it doesn't reward players that like broken tackle rate that rewards players that invite contact or players that just literally can't avoid contact they're probably not very good they're just you know the grinders between the tackles grinders those are the guys that thrive in broken broken tackle rate missed tackles forced it is picking up that but it's also picking up the guys that just avoid being tackled not getting tackled is a really good skill for running back so anyways cam Akers was very good at not getting tackled he was ninth out of 54 again keep in mind his terrible offensive line other players with really bad offensive lines that weren't as bad as cam Akers' offensive line are saquon barkley dalvin cook and kareem hunt these guys also made defenders miss in the backfield on repeat i have a hypothesis around this it's the the uh the head of steam phenomenon basically i i don't have anything to back this up but it just it seems logical to me if there's a running back that's 220 pounds and they're running at full speed they're a lot harder to tackle than if it's a running back that is standing still a standing still running back is much easier to tackle so when we're talking about guys that have no space like they get the ball and they're already getting tackled and they're making guys miss. That's a special skill that is unique. That is really, really, really special. It's a gift. Cam Akers has this gift. Perhaps the only thing more impressive than his missed tackle rate is his breakout age. According to playerprofiler.com, Cam broke out at 18.2. He was a friggin' prodigy. And at the RB position, athleticism matters a fair bit. It's not the only thing that matters. So we don't go and, you know, rush out to best case scenario on Jonathan Taylor and say he's generational because he isn't. But Cam Akers was a very good athlete in his own right. He was the, he ran a uh, 4.47 40-yard dash, which is in the 89th percentile. But then when you factor in all of his athletic metrics, I use something called relative athletic score. It comes from um, Kent Platt at MathBomb on Twitter. So when you use his ref, his relative athletic score, Akers comes in with an 8.81 relative, RAS, that's what it's short for, or that's what the short version is, RAS. So he has an 8.81 RAS. Very, very good. It's out of 10. He was 
a phenomenal athlete. And I mean, like, sure, the numbers look good, but this game isn't played in the spreadsheets, as any data analyst will tell you. <laughs> uh, to be honest, though, I, I do like uh, film for running backs and like film grades for running backs seem to be very predictive. Lance Zerline, he does prospect grades on NFL.com and he has proven to be remarkably good at it. His grades out hit draft capital by a fair margin and that's really hard to do considering the guys that are making the draft capital, like the general managers and the coaches selecting these players are selecting them to use them. Lance is saying this guy's really good and it doesn't matter when or where he gets drafted. That's a really good sign. So how did Akers show up? That's the question we're here for. Well, DeAndre Swift was number one in 2020. Jonathan Taylor with a 6.41 was number two. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire with a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Cam Akers both had a 6.39, and J.K. Dobbins had a 6.38. So Taylor, Edwards-Hilaire, Akers, and Dobbins were all virtually identical according to Lance Zerline, which is to say they were all really good. So once you factor all this stuff in and then you combine it with his second round draft capital, this gives Akers my seal of approval, like stamp of approval. He was bulletproof. And then how did his rookie season go? Well, I mean, game two, we got the first three handoffs. And then he fell on the pointy end of the football and suffered a rib cartilage separation, which sounds incredibly painful. Anyway, the expected recovery is two to three months. It's more of a pain management thing, though. He missed two games, but once he returned, he played sparingly. Like, he barely saw the ball. He barely saw the field, in fact. And then there's this really great thread on Twitter by Jacob Sanderson. You can find him on Twitter at FF underscore RTDB. And he says, and I'm quoting him here, Okay, now, it's week 10. We're off the bye, and everyone's now healthy and integrated into the offense. What we first see is a full-blown three-man committee. Weeks 10 to 12, touches, yards, touchdowns so Akers had 24 Henderson had 28 Brown had 17 Akers had 141 yards Henderson had 61 and Brown had 98 he severely outplayed his competition and he's seeing more defenders in the box than either of them two real good signs real real good signs by week 13 Akers has completely taken over and then a weird thing happens in week 14 and this is the one that people keep coming back to me saying well Akers only took over because Henderson was injured here's the thing again Jacob Sanderson same thread Week four, this thread, by the way, it goes like week one all the way through the season. It's phenomenal. Week 14, Henderson practices in full. No injuries. Henderson, clean bill of health. Akers, limited in practice. Injured. What happens in week 14? Akers goes out and touches the ball 31 times. Henderson touches it twice. (laughs) The Rams gave the unhealthy running back an absurdly lopsided touch distribution. That means Akers is the starter. It's no longer a committee. Akers has taken over. And then he goes on to say, Akers took over because, and these are some options, he earned it. Coaches wanted him to. Hot hand. Basically any narrative you like, but not because of injury. Akers just took over. It's a completely different scenario at this point. So my question is, should we expect this to continue? And heck yes, of course we should. Akers was bulletproof. Henderson actually, in my process, grades out as a long shot. Akers... Hit rate potential is very, very high. Like the historical hit rate of players in the bulletproof bucket at the running back position is greater than 75%. Henderson's long shot production or uh, profile, that's a 25%. Uh, hit rate in that bucket it's a very well it's a long shot so then we have after the rookie season cam was 
bulletproof and then he gained value i use adp trends for running backs as well so being bulletproof and gaining adp there's 23 running backs that have ever done that 19 of them hit that's 83 percent henderson a long shot and a face planner he lost value after his rookie season zero of 13 we've never seen one hit a top 12 season now that's obviously for top 12 seasons there is a chance that henderson could still be a thorn in his side so the question is is henderson good or is he replacement level or is he just nowhere near as good as Cam Akers? And therefore, we can assume that Cam Akers is the bell cow going forward. Let's keep going. So as rookies, this is comparing rookie year to rookie year. Akers had 625 rushing yards. Henderson had 147. He was third on the team behind Malcolm Brown as a rookie. That ain't good. PFF grades. Akers, 68.7. Henderson, 68.1. Advantage. Akers. Yards created per touch. Akers, 1.43. Henderson, 2.14. Henderson wins. I got nothing. Here's the interesting thing about that though. Average defenders in the box, Akers 7.3, number five in the NFL. Henderson, as a rookie, 6.7. Basically, nobody cared that he was carrying the ball. They said, whatever, we'll stop the pass. Henderson had a lot easier go than Akers did. Again, the same head of steam phenomenon. I think it's harder to tackle a guy, tackle a guy that's running than a guy that's standing still. So anyway, we should probably talk about sample size at this point. Akers had 145 carries. Henderson had 43. So we're a lot more confident in Akers' top 20 uh, yards created per touch than we are in Henderson's really, really elite yards created per touch as rookies. So as prospects, Akers definitely better than Henderson. Rookies, Akers better than Henderson. Now let's unlevel the playing field. So that was a level playing field. Now we're going to unlevel. We're going to stack the deck in Henderson's favor. We're looking at Henderson, the sophomore versus Akers, the fresh or the uh, rookie. Akers, 625 yards. Henderson, 624 yards. It's a wash. Virtually the same. PFF grade. Akers, 69.5. Henderson, 79.2. Way better for Henderson. Here's the interesting thing. Henderson's season was literally a tale of two seasons. His first eight games, 86.5 PFF grade, top of the league. Last eight games, 56.8. Extremely replacement level. Like, that's like out of the league level. He was really bad over the last eight games. Yards created per touch. Akers, 1.43. Henderson, 1.16. Advantage, heavily in favor of Akers. Defenders in the box. 7.3 for Akers, 6.9 for Henderson, even this year. Akers did more with less, repeatedly, at every point. I guess what I'm trying to say is, Akers does not have competition for touches. Akers has a change of pace back that will, you know, he'll see some touches. He'll get, you know, 20, 30% of the touches. Akers will get 70% plus. Akers is going to eat first. When it, like, when they go to the cafeteria, Akers eats first. When they're on the football field, Akers eats first. Akers is the running back. So now I want to talk about the wide receiver for the Purdue Boilermakers, and it isn't Rondell Moore. I want to talk about David Bell. We are going to flip the switch to Debbie here for a second. When you're in a dynasty league, you need to know what's coming. Last year, we were telling you, go and get 2021 second round picks. They're going to be valuable. This class is stacked. It's super deep. Now I'm telling you, and everyone else is telling you, sell your 2022 picks. Here's the thing. Don't sell your 2022 first round picks. There's a lot of very good high-end players, or at least round one players in 2022. I want those picks. If you want to sell seconds and thirds and fourths all day, give her. I could not care less about those picks right now. That could change. We could get some late bloomers that, uh, you know, pop and and suddenly we have, you know, a bunch of superstars. <laughs> but Chances are, at this point, it doesn't look great after round one. But David Bell is a guy I want to focus in on because 
I'm updating my Debbie rankings for March 7th. That's when they go live on patreon.com backslash bulletproof FF. The new Debbie rankings are coming out on March 7th. David Bell's going back to the top. I moved him down to number two. I'm putting him back to number one because there isn't anything that gives me a doubt about David Bell. He is a no doubter. So let's dive in. David Bell was a four-star recruit, and then he walked onto campus, and he immediately broke out as an 18-year-old freshman. That's a a very good sign. He's 6'2", he's 210 pounds, and he's got a 27.0 BMI. He is exactly what you're looking for from the wide receiver position. He is an alpha. He's the kind of guy that's going to walk on, walk into the NFL and probably start putting up wide receiver one-type numbers within his second year. That's what I expect from him at this point. He's going to be an age 21 rookie, which is a great sign. And when it comes to like his production, he, he's, he doesn't just check the boxes. He smashes the boxes. I use yards per team pass attempt and I age adjust it. So again, age 18 versus age 18, age 19 versus age 19. This metric is receiving yards divided by team pass attempts. It's super straightforward. No complex math. At age 18, he had 2.0. At age 19, he had 2.4. He smashed the thresholds. Great sign. Then we go to uh, market share of receiving yards. His percentage of the team's receiving yards. And again, age adjusted. At age 18, age 19, 27.83, 33.71. Crushed it. No doubts about David Bell at this juncture. Now, what's really interesting to me, and I don't know if you guys know this about me. I'm like in a perpetual state of trying to improve the process. It's it's like uh, it's it's like a compulsion. Like I just I I can't rest. We need more. We need more data. We need better data. We need to keep improving. So here is one of the latest things that uh, that I'm working on. There that I'm working on incorporating instead of age adjusting. A lot of analytics people are moving to experience adjusting. So instead of saying age 18 versus age 18, they're saying freshman versus freshman. Doesn't matter how old you are, your first year on campus, how'd you do? And when we look at that for David Bell, in fact, if you want to look this up, you can go to campustocanton.com and my guy, Jarek Backus, uh, he's at Jarek Backus on Twitter. You can look or you can go to his app and you can plot these. Like you just pick David Bell, your metric that you want. So I'm looking at receiving you. Receiving yards market share by experience. So when I'm looking at this graph, which you can see on the YouTube channel, by the way, this video will post next week. David Bell checks the boxes again. Every one of them. Doesn't matter. Now we're comparing him to freshmen at any age, not just age 18. So this is higher thresholds. David Bell crushes it. Then a new one that I'm trying to trying to learn more about, I'm trying to incorporate. I'm not sure how it's going to work with what I currently do, but it's a really interesting data point. It's called weighted dominator rating. Now, I am not a fan of college dominator. I think college dominator is way too random. <laughs> not random, but it's skewed. College dominator, like traditional college dominator, weights receiving yards at 50% and receiving touchdowns at 50%. Well, some teams don't pass for very many touchdowns. So one or two touchdowns can really skew that that percentage. So this one, we know that receiving yards are more predictive. It weights receiving yards more than it weights receiving touchdowns. So now we're looking at an 80-20 split between receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. And when you do this for David Bell and you look at it experience adjusted, David Bell crushes. There, there are no holes in the David Bell profile to this point in his career. The next thing we're looking for is alphas. We want to see guys that lead their team now, market share captures this to some extent, but they don't necessarily lead their team. We want guys to lead their team. True alphas. David Bell at age 18 in his first season led his team in receiving, led his team in receptions, led his team in receiving yards, led his team in receiving touchdowns. He led the team in every receiving category there is. 
He is an alpha. And then at 19, last season, like 2020, David Bell had 625 receiving yards, according to Pro Football Reference. The second place player on the team in receiving yards had 305. He doubled second place. The offense is David Bell. David Bell is the offense. You need him on your team. If you're playing in Devi Leagues right now, you need to go and trade for David Bell because there's a slight dip. People are a little, I don't know if they're down on David Bell necessarily or they're just higher on other people, but I've been seeing him slip a little bit into the 3-4 range and he he belongs at the top. He is the wide receiver one in 2022. And if you're playing in Dynasty Leagues, do not trade your first round pick because it could be David Bell. It could be David Bell. David Bell looks a lot like a lot of players I really like from the Bulletproof side. I'm talking about guys like Rashad Bateman this year. He has a profile similar to like a like a DeAndre Hopkins or a uh, Devontae Adams, like that type of player, like the big, not overly athletic, but like passable athletic. David Bell has a high ceiling. That's what I'm trying to say. High floor, high ceiling. You need him on your squad. Go get him. 